Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, all you budding adventurers. My name's James and welcome back to another episode of the 9 to 5 ADV podcast, where we talk affordable and accessible adventure bike riding. With me as my usual co-host, Ross. Hey, James. How are you doing this week? I'm doing very well this week, Ross. How are you? Yeah, I can't complain. I can't complain. You've been out riding. I have. I have. I was uh, lucky enough to head up on Friday, last Friday, to uh, see my brother who lives up in Tisbury, right next to Salisbury. And then we spent Saturday out on Salisbury Plain. What did did you think of the lanes up there? For my brother, it was brilliant. Because he's relatively new to to it, right? He's relatively new. So he's got an Africa twin. He's been out a few times by himself. Uh, this is the first time we've been able to get out together. So for him, uh, really good. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of lanes up there. So I can see why people call it like an adventure bike mecca and, and all this. But For a seasoned Dakar pro like yourself, <laughs> a little bit uh, a little bit tame for, compared to the Devon lanes. For a Devon show biker, <laughs> which is, well, sorry, that's your handle, yeah. but it's a lot of the same once you've unless there's something that i missed and we missed some corner that has all these wonderful things there's a lot of it's a lot of long gravel um long sand and i don't know yeah i guess we're kind of spoiled down here when we talked about in the past i mean the variety we've got but um yeah so your brother was riding his africa twin his newly bought second hand Yes, Africa Twin. Yeah. wasn't brand new like you've bought your bikes. Yeah, it so was second hand. This was beginning of the year, I want to say. We went to Bridge because Tom basically decided that he was going to get into this as well. Yeah, so we test rode a T seven and Joy Road, and an Africa Twin because <laughs> that's where his budget was. His budget was about nine, and he wanted to spend uh, about that much. Okay, so it was either brand new T seven or or something quite like new or, relatively yeah relatively lightly used africa twin yeah and then, okay. and then in sense. the end the africa twin worked for him he's he's a little more going to be spending a little more time on road than off compared to me that's spending a little more time off than on so the africa twin for him works and has, his bike history a, was was road bikes and hondas anyway right all all road bikes he's had a pan european he's, he's currently got a thunderbird Thunderbird or Blackbird? Blackbird. Blackbird. Yeah, yeah, so Pan- yeah I was going to say. Sorry, yeah, Thunderbird's he's... Triumph. Yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. No, he's, he's had Pan European Blackbird. and yeah, Blackbird, yeah, so yeah. both big Hondas. And so I guess there's that kind of like brand affinity there. Mm-hmm. I think once you've had a couple of bikes from from one brand, you naturally sort of uh, deviate towards that brand again when you're buying. But yeah, I mean, the secondhand adventure bike market is uh, could be a bit can be a bit of a goldmine, right? Hmm. Yeah. Good segue, by the way. I wasn't expecting that, but very well done. Uh, very well done. Yeah. I like it. I've now just ruined, but. 
yeah. But like a lot of riders like yourself buy buy new, kit themselves out, um, and then unlike yourself, uh, manage to clock a couple of thousand miles in three years, flog the bike for something else, and uh, yeah, leaves leaves other people there to clear up and take advantage of the depreciation hit that they've they've suffered. Well, exactly. This is the thing that you can get a. I mean, I would say more than any other style of bike, you can pick up some fantastic practically new second-hand adventure bikes from like you said the people that have bought them new with all the these grand visions of adventure that have never come to pass like me with my first like me and my first tiger but then you also get people like me with my second tiger who picked up a great deal on a nice young tiger that had not many miles on really clean so I got that of great deal. Of course, that one was a second-hand one, wasn't it? That was a second-hand one. Yeah. So you and then you and did I that ragged and that it. and then and then sold that and to some poor Irish fellow. Yeah, but I it was. Do we get the ferry over to come and buy it? He and did. Like, met you at the airport or something crazy. That's so and trustworthy. And rode it back. And then rode it back. Unbelievable. It was mad. <clears throat> but um, the clutch lasted. Of course it did. It had, a, it had a race clutch in it. Anyway, but again, there's a, there's another potential opportunity there if you know if the bike's been used, but maintained you know i had to take off a lump of because yeah. cosmetic you know mechanically the bike was com- it was sound wasn't it was it? sound yeah. and it was appraised by you guys before i sold it that's um, true actually yeah because we were going to buy it off you weren't yeah, we but it's it was just we offered you now for. <laughs> <laughs> but the fairings were just you know it, it's obviously when you trail ride and you're going through through bushes and brambles mm. they just get covered in tiny hairline scratches and so cosmetically the bikes just look they look a little bit tatty don't they that's exactly so the guy who bought the bike got a hell of a deal probably why he came all the way over from from ireland so there's there's two reasons there why adventure bikes can be a great purchase yeah yeah i guess and that's the thing isn't it is it's being confident and we'll come on to it later being confident of the mechanical soundness of that bike Mm -hmm. being able to look past the kind of yeah the potentially tatty tatty surface um and work out whether or not you're buying a bike that's been used and loved or used and uh, abused yeah and the other thing is if you if you're going to get into adventure riding you may and probably don't want to go out and buy the latest model and spend a fortune and chuck it on pcp and then and then chuck it down a green lane. We're not all as idiotic as I am. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So I guess uh, to start with, I suppose we should kind of look at the, the two ways to buy second-hand bikes. You've got two main options, right? Um, either from a dealership. So buy buy one from you. Yep, or buy one from you. Or buy one from or me. Or buy from, yeah, from a private seller. Uh, you, have you done both in the past? or? Yeah, so I've done both. So the 2015 Tiger was my first ever new bike and my first adventure bike and then my second tiger was a used bike and then the c7 has obviously been new and that was something totally different because that was a pre-order on something that i'd not touched or seen yeah of course so different kettle of fish altogether but, but all of them from dealerships though so far yes that's true actually the second hand no, no, one i bought no private sales from for adventure bikes anyway not for adventure bikes i've done mm-hmm. private sales for for other bikes back in the day and they generally less expensive kind of cheaper bikes would you say yeah 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 because okay. i mean we'll come on to come on to some of this as well because i guess at the lower end of the market the the private sales side of things has always been to me more attractive than at the top end of the market um if you're spending a lot of money i think there are some pros that you get from buying from a dealer which you don't get from a, a private sale which may make it worth potentially paying a little bit extra for i don't know what you think on that yeah no i i completely agree 
um especially with these these huge if you're if you're heading up towards 10 grand yeah you know usually you you're not really going to see more than maybe 5 to 1500 max difference between a similar bike between yeah um someone's driveway and and a dealership and, and a bike of that value suddenly that percentage difference becomes a lot smaller right yeah for that peace of mind of of knowing the bike is completely completely sound um, well, and hopefully completely sound i mean obviously one thing you've got to say is that not all dealerships are equal and some dealerships are fantastic and others are, are less good yeah so you should also do a bit of research on the dealership you're buying from check out their reviews um try and get a feel for how they operate i think uh, quite an interesting way of looking at it actually whether this is true or not i don't know but for example at bridge uh bridge motorcycles next to you guys you know when i used to work there obviously if you get if we traded in something that was you know not very good or very old um you know they would reclass them as trade so then we would sell them on to another dealership that would that would deal more in that so in that kind of price range yeah yeah less reliable machines you know yeah maybe just tattier i'm willing to put a bit more effort into yeah so the average value of them of the bikes that the bridge sells is higher than other other dealerships yeah absolutely yeah um but with that obviously it's make you know when you guys bring the bikes in you evaluate and make sure that the stuff you want to put on your showroom floor yeah we we like to think that you know every bike we sell be it three grand or 30 grand is is of a certain quality um in terms of mileage in terms of aesthetic look which is you know part of the reason we when you know when you'd want to trade your tiger in the price wasn't great because like you said it looks a bit tatty and we've got to think how's that going to look in a showroom full of gleaming um other examples so so that comes into it but yeah you're absolutely right i mean one of the big advantages from buying from a dealership is that you've got some sort of guarantee and or at least even if the dealership is a bit dodgy you still have your kind of consumer rights in place you have someone to come back to if there's exactly a it's a private sale the guy can just say not my problem anymore you've bought it you deal with it um so you've got that and you're at least going to have a warranty on a, a, a used bike um, yeah the dealerships have to give a warranty by consumer law or whatever <clears throat> yeah consumer law is a bit funny so most dealerships will offer a three-month warranty as standard however consumer law basically covers you that if there's any defect in a second-hand vehicle within the first six months of ownership the onus is on the dealership to prove that that fault didn't exist at the time you bought it which is very difficult to do right after six months the onus flips and the onus is then on the uh, the purchaser to prove that that fault did exist which again is almost impossible to to do so basically mm-hmm. although yeah your warranty process three months realistically you've probably got a six month window of um where you're not going to come up against that much resistance from from a decent dealership i would say so it's peace of mind that you know there isn't something hiding underneath the fairing that's going to go wrong the second you ride it down the street yeah definitely and i think the other thing is to remember as well is that a dealership does have a reputation to uphold um so whereas a private seller they're probably only going to sell one bike it doesn't matter if you have a terrible experience buying from me as a, a private purchaser as long as i get my money i don't care about you whereas as a dealership we've got to make sure that we have happy customers because with the internet now especially and word of mouth um your reputation is the thing that makes or breaks you and if you're selling loads of dodgy bikes uh, and word gets out that your bikes aren't leaving in good co- good condition um you're not going to be around very long as a dealership yeah and another thing as as a consumer now that i'm out of the game as it were bike i mean it happens with car dealerships but not nowhere near to the extent that it does with bike dealerships you know a bike dealership if you've bought from a dealership before and you've 
and you've built a relationship, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, if you haven't, then you're missing out. But there is a there is a a relationship that is built through buying from a dealership and then servicing with the dealership and getting a coffee from your dealership that you don't get with like a car dealership and yeah and i think it's because motorcycling ultimately is a hobby you know i think people that are into cycling or into most other sports or anything that involves you going to your local whatever it is shop will find that yeah they build up a rapport with the staff in there it's a nice place to go um, and it becomes a part of the hobby in, in and of itself so that's yeah. that's definitely something not to discount entirely mm. i'm know. not going to go i i'm not going to go into the nissan garage for a coffee for a coffee and chat about my leaf mainly because they won't let me anymore because <laughs> you tried <laughs> you tried to <laughs> no but it's but in you know going to bridge and having a coffee and and then chatting to well, it's, it's been one of the strangest things in this post-lockdown thing is, is the way that dynamic has changed. And it's changed for the worse at the moment. Because, yeah, we have at the moment. We've lost that social side of things, which has made the dealership feel a little bit colder, which I think is a shame. But, you know, slowly, slowly, we're, we're getting back to normality, but just trying to do it safely at the moment. Yeah. I mean, don't think that we're corporate shills here just completely, like, saying how amazing dealerships are. We've got cons, and we will talk, and we will go into the pros of, of private. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, know, yeah, it's, I mean, it, the, you know, it's two sides of a coin here. No, so. And the main, the main disadvantage of a dealership is usually going to be cost. Yeah. And generally, the nicer the dealership, the more you're going to pay for the bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, at, at Bridge, we don't pretend to be the cheapest dealership in the country we don't actively try to be either because we like to think we offer something above and beyond that but yeah if, if, if you're mainly price driven then private sales is definitely going to be the way to go um, and if not you know if you find some smaller kind of more like backstreet dealers then yeah again you're probably going to get a better price than you are at a big main franchise dealer and this is the thing like with a dealership you're obviously you're going to have a margin you will have bought that bike for X amount and you will be selling it for X amount there is less room to usually less room to to play in theory than you would maybe have with a private sale Am I, would yeah be? i think that's true i think that like like it or not a dealership exists for one reason like you said that's to make money so the only reason we buy a bike and sell a bike is to make some profit on it yeah whereas the reason for somebody selling doors a bike, open yeah exactly um whereas the reason for somebody buying and selling a bike privately is completely different they have net they presumably have not bought that bike with the intention of selling it selling it is something that has had to happen for one reason or another um and therefore the circumstances surrounding that sale are wildly different from one person to the next and that's kind of your job as a as a buyer to work out what position the seller is in if you're buying privately um so yeah i think it's very fair to say that financially for the most part you probably have less wiggle room with the dealership but that's not to say don't negotiate because mm-hmm. there's always a deal to be struck and, and dealerships don't want you to walk out the door empty-handed, especially if you are if you are looking to purchase a bike. So are you are you now going to tell us some some dirty trade secrets? Uh, yeah, well I don't know, d- dirty trade secrets. I'm a, I, well, I should have dirty trade dirty trade secrets. You I'm should, allowed you, to you're say. out of it. But no, I mean, well, one one thing I would say, the main thing I would say when you're negotiating in a dealership, is if you just go straight in asking for what's the best deal you that. can do for cash how much can you knock off this bike from a negotiation point of view it's like the worst starting point because for a start the dealership has put generally a lot of effort into pricing that bike they've looked at the market they know what that bike is worth um so if if you walk in and say 
what can you do off that bike? The, realistically, unless the bike's been in stock for donkey's years and it's something they're desperate to get rid of, you might get a couple of hundred quid off, but it's not going to be anything um, significant. A far better way to go about it, as far as I'm concerned, is show a genuine interest in that bike, make it evident that you are seriously looking to buy it, um, and ask questions about that bike. What, In terms of a negotiation, what I would suggest you try and do is find things that cost the dealership less than would cost you, but are of high value to you. So, for instance, any consumables on the bike, negotiate over those. Dealerships can buy those parts all at trade price. They can fit them um, for their either for free or for their internal labour rate. Either way, it's less than it's going to cost you to fit them. So, when you're looking over the bike, if there's anything you notice on it, um, tyres, chain and sprockets, brake pads, anything on there that um, you think is going to need addressing, use that as part of your negotiation. Um, and the other thing is is your sort of servicing on the bike. It never ceases to amaze me how few people ask what the service history is on a bike. I've sold so many bikes, and we always make sure that if a bike is due a service and due an MOT, it goes out with a, with a fresh service and a fresh MOT. But so many people don't even ask the question. Yeah, I um, used to have loads of people, they would just... They would not say anything until we were just handing over, and I was handing over the... The you keys. Know, you hand over the keys, and, and I'm handing over all the literature, and they're like, oh, what's the service history? And you think, that's a... To me, that's a key part of negotiation. And even before I got into the bike industry, that was something I was always keen on making sure if I bought a car or a motorbike or anything, was how, how well has this vehicle been looked after? Now, it's not to say if a bike doesn't have a fully stamped up service history, you shouldn't buy it. That's not the case at all. Because there's lots of reasons why a bike may not have a stamp in the book every single year. And equally, a stamp in the book doesn't necessarily mean that a bike's been perfectly looked after. Um, so ask to see service history and also ask to see if possible invoices that back up what's been done just because you've got 10 stamps in the book that might just mean it's had an oil change every year um, most manufacturers for instance will specify that things like coolant and brake fluid should be changed every two to three years well, that's uh, the thing yeah even if someone's doing the servicing at home and for whatever reason stamping the yeah. book but even so whether it's a minor or a major service they should still be buying those consumables in which case there should be a receipts at oh, least you know to, a, to a, de- a decent bike owner will keep those those invoices yeah absolutely why wouldn't you um and on certain bikes this and you can't, i can't give specific advice over for every model now but do your research when you're buying bikes because every bike from every manufacturer will have different servicing requirements and different service schedules some of the european bikes are especially bad for this things like bmws and ducatis that have very very expensive major services that can only be completed at um main franchise dealers so for instance as at bridge as we're not a ducati dealer we literally don't have the tools to do some of the jobs that a ducati multistrada needs doing on at say fifteen thousand miles um, and we in the past as a dealership have had to send a second-hand bike that we've bought to the local ducati dealer in order to have it serviced for a customer who is buying it so that's the sort of thing that you could negotiate on and that yeah um, that's a thousand pound service well yeah the last thing you want to do is buy a second-hand bike think you've got yourself a stonker of a deal that you negotiated yeah. a, br- a brilliant price only to then find that the dealership knew that in six months it was due well and often it was due it, and a to major be fair service. to the dealership maybe the dealership doesn't even know because yeah. we're not absolute experts on every single bike in the market i don't know the service intervals of every single bike try and make sure when we're buying them that they're, they're bought correctly but you know, sometimes we've had it in the past where we've gone, oh, yeah, we're going to need to do that service. And, yeah. and that's a huge chunk of... Because, again, if a, dealership, if a dealership's smart, they'll obviously look at this history when they're bringing the bike in. It should be, absolutely. Think, okay, well, you're, you're trading this in right before a big service. 
So yeah. that's going to be reflected. So there should in. be there should be the margin in that bike if it's been bought correctly. Yeah. For you to then ask the dealer and say, right, I want that big valve clearance belt service done on a Ducati. Mm. Um, I think I think another thing uh, you may agree or disagree. I always used to look at it as when you're when you're sat at the desk and you're buying a bike, there are three people negotiating a deal here. You've got you the the buyer. Yeah. You've got a, a price that you want to buy the bike at. You've got the salesman who sat in front of you. Yeah. Who obviously has commission to make, which is usually based on like the unit and then extras. Yeah, well it depends on uh, different dealerships diff- have yeah. different models for that, so. And then obviously the lower they can get the price the easier their job becomes but then they've got the sales manager who obviously wants to make as much profit as possible in that sale so you've got three different prices here that are floating around and again you whether you you might agree you might disagree but i always found that the rapport that you build with that salesperson because you the chances are you're not going to go straight to the sales manager you've got the middle the middleman is the salesman Absolutely. and the salesman is, is doing the balancing act between the lowest price for you and the highest price for the sales yeah. manager and if you have someone that comes in that's very arrogant like you said they come in oh what's the best price you can do for this especially if you're on a commission structure that is based on the bike plus extras or whatever and it's just a cash deal there's nothing else there's nothing in there's not much in the bike i I was less inclined to want to help that person out. And I know that that's you shouldn't think like that, but to be and to be fair, it's less to do with the the number of products or the amount of money they they're going to spend. To me it's more about the attitude of that person and mm. whether or not I like them. And yeah. like you said, maybe it shouldn't come into it, but ultimately if someone comes into the into the showroom, they're obnoxious, um they're rude. I don't particularly want to help them get an amazing deal if someone comes in and i get on with them i think oh this seems like a really nice guy a really nice nice girl and i'm like yeah okay i want to help this person get the best deal they can while still earning myself some money and making sure that the deal is profitable profitable for the business in an ideal world all three of those parties come away feeling like they've won that's that's the perfect sale as far as i'm concerned yeah if any one of those parties comes away feeling that they've won at the expense of the other two was it a great deal i don't think so because if you've got a great price on the bike but you've upset the salesman you've upset the sales manager what's their attitude going to be when you come back because there's a problem with it or because you want to do something else in future yeah i think kind of yeah being uh it just it just hardly goes yeah, a long way it just harkens back to what i was saying about the different difference between car and bike dealerships just that relationship and that rapport and you know, in the time, in the few years I was working at Bridge, I, some people I sold, you know, four oh, or yeah. five bikes to. And yeah. because you build that relationship and 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 each time you see them, great, how's it going? You know, how's Absolutely. the bike? Yeah, you show and genuine it, interest in one another as well. So, Just one last point is yeah. that, you know, you get to a point like we've done, we've, we've bought quite a few cars from yeah. the same guy from Nissan. And now we're at a point where we just trust him. And it's just, we want, like we're winning for the Leaf. We want the Leaf this is how much this is our budget what can you do and yeah. and and we knew that the deal that he got us was 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 good was was good yeah and, you, and it's that trust and you don't you don't want to have to have a i mean some people will enjoy it some but people you, don't love wanna, it. you don't want to have a <laughs> some people love it. have that fight every time you <laughs> no I think there's a lot to be said for that and i think what you're saying now is interesting is that kind of transparency now some of that you've got to have done some research yourself first because you don't want to go in and be like, oh, hi, I'd like to buy an Africa to him. What's your budget? Oh, £500 a month. Is that doable? Because mm-hmm. it's like, well, yeah, clearly that's doable. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
um, but if you you know if you've got some realistic expectations in mind going in and being open and honest is, is a is a great way to get a good deal because if everyone's cards are on the table from the get-go you're saying look this is how much i can afford for that bike or this is how much i can afford per month can you make that happen for me even if they can't quite get there they know at least there's a figure they're working towards and if they don't get near it from the get-go they know that they're probably onto a they're not going to make that sale so then everyone's time isn't wasted yeah absolutely so what other tips have you got so we've talked a bit about like servicing for the bike so going through the service history making sure that's done that's something i would definitely recommend negotiating on um because like we said servicing can be horribly expensive down the line so if you can get the dealership to pay for the bulk of that at point of sale it's at least going to put off those costs for two or three years but check out what warranty does come with the bike i know we talked about the kind of your consumer rights and warranty but most dealerships will offer a three-month warranty which will be parts and labor but most will also offer some sort of extended warranty be various prices various um, ways this is done sometimes it'll be through a third party sometimes it'll be directly through the dealership some dealerships may offer 6 12 18 months some will just offer one whatever but basically find out what options you've got for that if you think that that additional peace of mind is something you'd be interested in because again it's a really big negotiating tool it's something that probably doesn't cost the dealership a huge amount to put in place but if you're the sort of person that likes to have that peace of mind that you know what i'm going to keep this bike for two years and i would just love to know that if something mechanically goes wrong with it it's not going to cost me a penny then that's i think that's a good good thing to negotiate on yeah great. rather than just asking for money off up front yep um now, something that we didn't mention in the pros and cons of mm. of dealership buying, but obviously if you're just buying your first bike or you don't currently have a bike, then it's you haven't got to worry. It's not like bike, you have, there's no chain, as it were. Yes. But if you if you are changing to a different bike, yep. if you're doing privately, then you've got to be chucking your bike on oh, Gumtree or Autotrader yep. and go through the ringers of selling that as well as finding and yeah and unless you're lucky enough to have a pot of a huge pot of money such that you don't rely on the sale of your bike like a housing chain oh yeah you're, you're, you can be waiting to sell your bike mm. before you can buy the next and then miss out so yeah dealers a great way because you, can you do exchange. have that option of part exchange now this is not a secret part exchanging is not the best way to get the most money for your bike no. put that out there right now <laughs> but a lot of people seem to think it's a yeah. secret they go oh but i've seen these on auto trader for this much money and you think yeah, how do you think we exist as a business? How do you, yeah, how do you um, think we make so yeah, money? We will not be offering you the highest possible price for your bike. What we will try and do is offer you a fair, what we think is a fair price. And there's a few things you can do to try and maximise that price. So in the same way that when you come to the dealership, you would expect the bike that you're looking to buy, hopefully, to be clean, presentable, and look relatively well-maintained, try and do the same with yours uh when people turn up at the dealership and it's not to say your bike needs to turn up pristine shining we know you've got to ride it here and it might have been raining but you can tell when a bike has been ridden 40 miles in the rain versus has spent a month without seeing so much as a hose pipe yeah and ultimately we're looking at that in the sense that we've got to buy it clean it up and sell it and try and make some money on it or like you said earlier trade it out and uh to another to another dealer but either way the better your bike can look when you bring it in, the better the price you will get for it. It's as simple as that. If your bike has at least legal tyres on it, we can tell there's some life in the brake pads, it looks clean, there's some wax on the chain, it's adjusted correctly. It's all just evidence of somebody that's looked after a bike well. And yeah, to us, we go, okay, that's a bike that's going to be easily sellable that we can make some more money on. 
if it comes in and it looks like it's yeah looks like a dog we're just going to look at it and think oh gosh that's gonna that's going to require some work that's going to cost a lot of money to put right so we're not talking about spending days and days servicing your bikes and valeting it but give it a good wash and make sure that consumables are are in order and if they're not just be honest about them don't try and hide it because any decent dealer will do an appraisal on your bike anyway and we'll find them and there's nothing worse than being offered a price saying yeah we think okay it's worth this much it then goes into the workshop and we realize the discs are warped the clutch is slipping and suddenly that figure comes down it's not good for anyone so no um, so let's say i've got a part exchange yeah. and we work out a deal we appraise the bike you give me a figure we work out a, a, a whole deal yeah and then i go and sell that bike privately yeah. can i expect to get the same deal depends on it's tricky not necessarily depends on what your bike was i mean sometimes yeah absolutely because if your bike wasn't very desirable we'll be thrilled that you sold it privately because we didn't have to deal with it um <laughs> like, equally like me yeah no absolutely it didn't affect your deal on the tenere at all because we didn't really no offense we didn't want your bike mm-hmm. it wasn't really our cup of tea but say we spent ages working out a really nice deal we've got a good price i don't think i'd ever be that miffed if a customer sold their bike privately for more money because i think i'd get it i'd just be like well fair enough what i would say you can't expect to do is come to it say you've come in and you've said i'm going to buy um a full adventure suit and a new ri helmet and i want the bike on finance i'm going to do all of this and you know could you do me a bit of a deal and i go okay i managed to knock you say 500 quid off the whole package mm-hmm. um and you're like oh that's amazing brilliant blah, blah. and then you come in and go oh actually i don't think i want the racing suit the the the, the adventure suit and i don't want the, just helmet, take the bike please and oh, i've got cash now i'll just have the bike but i still want the 500 quid off at that point nah that deal yeah. that deal's not going to happen because the problem is you've built a you build a pot that each, well, each profit, item has a profit and then you're building that pot of profit and then that pot of profit will determine how much of you can dip into that to yeah. just to, to give back to you absolutely yeah um the only the only instance i can think of where where that might change otherwise is if for some reason we've decided to massively like over allow on your part exchange maybe but even then it shouldn't because mm-hmm. if you've sold it privately and got that same money for it it shouldn't make any difference so yeah so no i don't i don't yeah. think it should make a because that's a good that's a huge a, difference you know that is a good way of doing it let's say you you want the bike and maybe it's a bike that's not going to come in like the Tenere, for example because we worked out we, we, we worked out a price for mine didn't we yeah yeah and then it, i had the opportunity i had a few months to to see if i could get a better, better price which i did in the end but it, it's another option of another way of i think just talk, doing but, the whole, again it's, it's that honesty thing isn't it as well explain to the dealer and be like look would you mind if in the meantime between this point and me collecting the new bike if i sold it privately would that have an impact mm. i don't think many salespeople would have a problem with it but at least explain it yeah because then you're not going to run into any awkward conversations if uh, exactly if it doesn't i can only talk from my experience i don't know about other dealerships mm-hmm. and how, you know and, and how that might work for them and you mentioned just then about this big the big deal and they, they'd gone from a bike with loads of kit and yeah. going on finance to then getting rid of all the kit and doing cash yeah so what's the what's the big difference between finance and cash then what should i what should I be buying my bike on? So I don't know if... It, I don't know where this comes from because historically or if it's just a saying that's in, ingrained in our society is like, what's the best deal for cash? Now, for a start, most people don't mean cash. When you say cash, they actually mean debit card or bank transfer, mm-hmm. but still. Some people do literally mean cash. And I suppose probably historically, it probably came from a tax evasion. Yeah, it's right where, if you're in the mob. Yeah, exactly. Where you pay for the bike in cash, we keep the money in the mat- under the mattress rather than putting it in the bank account, and we don't have to pay for the VAT like that those days don't exist mm-hmm. certainly in the world that that i'm working in anyway 
So you paying in like actual physical cash definitely has no advantage. If anything, it's a disadvantage because we've got to pay to bank the stuff. <laughs> um, so we would far rather you just pay by bank transfer, which doesn't cost us anything. But the flip side is with finance um, is that we earn a commission on it. Um, it's not a secret. In any documentation you're given from a dealership, it should tell you that the dealership may earn commission from the finance. You don't always earn commission. If it's on a naught percent, um, or even a low percentage, sometimes it actually costs the dealership money. So, so that's the one time where a cash purchase could get you more money off. Mm-hmm. Is if if you see like naught percent, because not like you can't earn money from naught percent finance because yeah. there's no money being earned by the finance yeah. company. So basically, the lower rate of finance, the less likely you are to the less the commission will be for the dealership. Mm-hmm. But coming back to used bikes, typically APR rates on used bikes are higher than those on new because. On new bikes, the manufacturers actually subsidise those rates. So for Kawasaki to put on 6.3%, for instance, um, it costs them money. They have Kawasaki themselves have to pay Black Horse to run that rate, which is lower than Black Horse would normally like. Whereas on a used bike, the finance companies are paying us. Um, and that, that is coming out of the interest that you're paying effectively over the term of the agreement. Mm-hmm. And one thing people, a lot of people don't realise is as a buyer, um, we are obliged, if asked, to tell you what that commission is. So I don't have to tell you what, I don't have to divulge it to you as a matter of course. But if you say to me, by the way, how much is Bridge Motorcycles earning from the finance on this deal? Legally, I have to tell you. And I've, no, I've never, ever had that been asked. Have once, you ever had it? Once. You had it once. Only once. Um, and I think it's someone that actually bothered to read the documentation right, okay. that says, and it's, it's clear as day. You mm-hmm. read through it and it says, the dealership may well, may earn commission from this. Um, if you'd like to know how much they earn, please ask your sales representative or something like that. Um, now, n- people just don't ask. I don't know if it's a, a weird like British shyness or not, just being a bit coy about yeah, talking yeah. about the actual cold hard profit. But um, no, I mean, by all means, ask. Um, it's not a secret. Ultimately, that is a, can be a fairly significant chunk of profit in the deal. Um, it happens less in the, in the bike world. In the car world, there are definitely dealers that operate on a purely finance model you know they almost wipe all of the profit out of the the metal in the car and they their entire business model operates on on selling finance that doesn't happen so much in the bike world but there are definitely dealers earning good money from it and you know if you're if you are taking a a fairly large chunk of finance and you know that the dealership is going to be earning a fairly large amount of money out of that that might be something that you want to use as part of your negotiations one thing to bear in mind with it with all that said is most dealerships aren't going to give you huge sums of that back because if you settle your finance, so you clear the debt, which you're entitled to do. Yeah, I could go in within six- with the cash and pretend I don't have the cash, take out the finance, and then clear it a week, clear later. It a week later, and you guys would get nothing. They'll Basically, they'll pay it to us, and then they'll claw it all back. So pretty sneaky way of doing things, but if you want to really uh, screw a dealership over... <laughs> You won't be very popular when you walk back through the door, I guess. But no, but you are, but you are completely, you're completely entitled to do that if you want yeah. to. And that's down to the dealership to make sure that you know they they protect themselves from that and and don't offer so much discount that if you do that, they, it puts them at a loss. So, hmm. um, so yeah, the kind of days of yeah, deal for cash doesn't exist. Nice. I'm wary that we're going to go into another long episode. We're already at 36 minutes. Oh, so okay. Um, just quickly, if we just brush finance from you finance from the bank how should yeah so finance um for the most part there's there's two main types of finance in bike finance we're not going to go into it in huge depth now maybe we'll do that another day but there's higher purchase hp pcp personal contract purchase 
easiest way to think about it, higher purchase is just effectively a loan, a bank, just a normal bank loan that's secured Deposit, against the bike. payment, done. Yeah, but it's secured against the bike. You, end the, you own the bike at the end. PCP, you have a balloon payment at the end. You pay smaller monthly payments, but at the end of it, you've got to do something. For the most part, I would say to people listening to this podcast who presumably want to use their bike, if not off-road, they're going to use it in a fairly adventurous way. Uh-huh. And therefore, it's possibly not going to stay in the very best condition. PCP is probably not the best way to go if you're buying a second-hand bike or, or a new bike because you, at the end of the agreement, there's every likelihood that you will want to give that bike either back to the finance company or trade it in. And if it's not in what they, they class as like fair wear and tear in reasonable condition, you, you're liable to... to make up for that loss yeah it'd almost be good doing an episode on on finance because there's a lot yeah, of so. there's a lot of interesting things you can actually do with with pcp yeah there's loads I, of ways around yeah because I'm, I'm on pcp with the with the tenere and it doesn't it doesn't no because i've worked in in bikes you're confident and bikes with fans, it. i'm completely confident and, and comfortable knowing that at the end i've got there's options, so many options there are options for you so, but as a general rule i think if you're going to use the bike off-road and stuff higher purchase is probably a safe way to go however still bear in mind the bike does not belong to you the bike belongs to the finance company and you sign a contract that says that you will keep it in um, a state of good repair because ultimately at any point during the agreement if you miss payments and default they are entitled to repossess it so if you've trashed the bike then stop making payments they repossess the bike they will then bill you for the damage so just bear that in mind if you're going to pay all your payments well like properly on time it's not going to be an issue because at the end of the agreement you will become the owner of the bike so therefore it doesn't matter if it's only got one wheel left Uh Um, but just bear it in mind bank loan obviously completely different Um, for a start you may well find a bank loan with a lower APR rate than a dealer would potentially give you especially if you banked with them for a long time the other big advantage with the bank loan is that it's not secured against the bike which means that you have absolutely no obligation to look after the bike you should look after the bike because it's your bike. <laughs> yeah. But no, but in ter- con- contractually, you have no obligation with a bank loan yeah. to look after that bike. You can take it home and set it on fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be awesome, but still. Not if it's on your property. <laughs> yeah, that's true. As long as you don't claim when you're insurance. <laughs> um, so yeah. Great. So we've been looking at some used bikes that are currently on up on Auto Trader at the moment. By the time this goes out, I will have a little link on our website so you can have a look at these as well if you if you really want to have the, an interactive experience that's it exactly <laughs> um, uh, we'll, we'll see these reasonably quickly yeah we're basically we've, we've got a we've got a little selection of some different adventure bikes that you can get from dealerships currently so ross has looked at the dealerships ones and i've then gone and found the closest equivalent i could find but in the private market so should we look at them sort of simultaneously then yeah good idea so first one i found was from i'm gonna I have no idea. I have no idea if any of these dealerships are any good. Um, these are just bikes I found on Auto Trader. Um, so this one is from Motorcycles UK, who appear to be in Swindon, and it is hmm, not my favourite adventure bike in the world, but one that is very popular: Royal Enfield Himalayan, uh, 2018 bike, so only a couple of years old, 3,700 miles, and it's up for 3,795, um, which yeah is I think a, fair, a bit cheaper than a new one. Not hugely because they're pretty cheap bikes in the first place. Yeah. Now we've got, and obviously it's just a screenshot on the post that I put up, but we've had a look through the images. It's it's really tidy. It's a, yeah. it's ex- what you'd expect from a a young a low mileage adventure bike, and it's a perfect example. I mean, we're on a two year old bike that's done less than four thousand miles, and a two a two year old adventure bike. Adventure bikes yeah, exactly. should be the high mileage bike, um, and this is a perfect example that someone's obviously 
bought it new looked after it um they've either liked the idea of adventuring yeah. or had... or they've just used it to pot around town and yeah they yeah maybe they're maybe that's you know it's it's it's, it's a stylish bike yeah. stylish adventure bike so maybe that's what they've because they, they look great don't they these they're they're yeah. super simple easy to fix they haven't got they haven't got the greatest build quality in my experience you know they're they're very easy to fix and work on but you're going to be replacing parts a lot mm-hmm and when the going gets really tough on these that the, their ability is limited the ground clearance is not great but super simple rugged bike yeah um, as a first newish adventure bike can't really go wrong um so yeah like i said this is this is just shy of three eight what did you find on the private market so i, I found i managed to find one that was the same year so an 18 plate different color it's like the gray camo. Oh, the arctic camo yeah yeah and this one's done six and a half thousand miles so okay. not quite double but still you know a low mileage for yeah, it's only three thousand miles a year, isn't it? Yeah, and this one's up for three one, so it's a difference of six hundred ninety five pounds. Yeah, exactly, and and six hundred ninety five pounds doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're in the sub four grand, that's like a twenty odd percent yeah. saving. And and looking at the pictures, this one's just as tidy as the other one. It's yeah. obviously been looked after. It's not like someone's commuted on it and in all kinds of weathers. You know, in this situation especially with a bike this young i mean what's the him the royal enfield warrant is it two years no, five minutes or <laughs> <laughs> sorry but it's either good it'll either yeah, have be, a few months warranty or be just out of manufacturer's warranty yeah um if it, i would go for used if it was me well the private one you mean yeah that's oh, sorry. yeah i go private yeah for this i think i'd be tempted to with that that bigger difference in price for not a lot of difference and it's in... a cheap bike anyway that like we said is easy to fix so mm-hmm. yeah i think i'm probably with you so stepping up a tiny little bit in price but not a huge amount this is if i was well if i was going to because i did if i was buying an adventure bike at that kind of price point the honda crf 250 rally i think is is the perfect starter adventure bike now i thought this was yours because it's got the gopro sticker on the on the fairing there no no no, this is mine no sutton motorcycles yeah i don't know where they are but anyway so 2300 miles on it so yeah not not been used a huge amount um in the couple of years i mean they're great value they're lightweight capable super reliable parts are readily available mega long service intervals not much power suspension's pretty awful but as a as a cheap and reliable first adventure bike i think there's not a lot out there that's better now what do you think this guy did on it because it's an 18 plate with 2000 miles so less than a thousand miles a year but it's got a gopro and a dakar sticker on it I think he probably <laughs> liked the Dakar and the Dakar styling. But there's but... not a single. The handguards are standard. The exactly. tires are standard. There's no rack. There's. It hasn't been used for traveling. Yeah, this is someone that you know likes the Dakar, likes the look of the bike. Again, prime example of an adventure bike that if someone's had. Yeah. Either the, the, it loves the idea and just hasn't. And done this is what nearly a thousand pound cheaper than a, a brand new one would cost yeah. you. That's a decent saving yeah. for two thousand. That two thousand miles. That's just run in. That's just someone's running. Oh for yeah, you. on a Honda. I mean, it's it's only in terms of mileage. It's only a quarter of a way to its first annual service. Mm. Amazing. So yeah, what can you get privately? So privately, this is quite interesting. I couldn't find one eighteen plate. So the best I could find was a seventeen plate. Okay. Now this is someone that's used their bike completely differently. So it's up for two thousand nine hundred and fifty pounds. So quite cheap. A, that must have been probably the cheapest online. I would have thought quite a big drop in price. Yeah. Um. It's up. At, it's done nineteen thousand four hundred miles. So they've used it over the th- over okay. the, that three years. Lots of extras. So it's got a a plastic belly pan, the one that you fitted on yours. Yeah. It's got a, a rear sort of pannier rack. It's got. I think it looks like Asabis handguards, like you get. Oh you yeah, had. yeah, yeah. 
uh, and the picture was taken next to a sign that says unsuitable for motor vehicles. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so he's like, he's not pretending that it's anything other than what it is. Uh, but it looks, I mean, look through all the pictures. Um, it is still on road tires, but you, you trailed trail road yours for on the road tires for a little bit didn't you and it's, uh, so you see yeah, if the standard tires i did yeah it looks it looks tidy and this is i think is an example of you know if it's completely mechanically sound yeah. it says here full service history two owners and it's an ex-demo so it's had one owner from the dealership basically yeah yeah i i think with that if it if it genuinely is full service history so it's had its first service it should have had two services and, and its first service so it should have three stamps in its book at that point mm-hmm. i like i said i could check and just see what's due around nineteen thousand because i don't want to find that i've got an expense service pedal especially on a relatively mm. cheap bike coming up but yeah i mean and especially if if you're bomber. planning on doing a bit of trail riding you've got a bunch of extras on yeah. there the only thing yeah i think i'd be careful of is is looking at the condition under like the, the belly pan and all yeah. these bits and also you know at that high mileage it sounds like we're getting close to to some major service big service and also consumables if he hasn't already changed chain and sprockets brake pads well tires must have been changed but things like that mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of stuff on that bike that potentially could be on the way out so i think i'd caveat that one with yes i would buy that one if i was going to definitely use it off-road and providing i was confident enough to assess its condition properly otherwise i think i'd go for the dealership one for it's in kingsbridge if you want to buy it that's not far no 19 miles oh, yeah it would have been trash there's hella lanes <laughs> around there no i'm not buying that one so what about if we want a prop a proper adventure bike a big one um what uh, have you got on the private I've, market i've there? got nothing for this the xt660 oh, okay. i couldn't find it they didn't this was the only one i could find i remember i was at bridge for almost three years i think yeah. i saw two of them yeah in stock they're really rare bikes so we're talking if you didn't hear james the xtz so the 660 tenere so the 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 model that preceded james's 700 really so 660 single superb all-rounder really not blistering performance or anything and definitely down in terms of p- no, power and smoothness on yours but really reliable holding their value extremely well i think if you want to buy a bike that's if you can buy one at the right money it's not going to plug well, in value the only one i could find in the country on order trader was this one and it's five grand which i mean i don't know what they were new but i can't imagine they were much more than seven or something i don't know but the other thing as well is you tend to when they come in they don't tend to come in in the best condition no often they're this is this one looks mint. 11 it? years old, 11,000 miles. Yeah, 1,000 miles a year. <laughs> you know, Unbelievable, really. It is. Um, Which is funny because they've got quite chunk, quite knobbly tyres on there, but it looks incredibly clean. Yeah, it looks good. So, I mean, as a, I think if you can find one, they're obviously hard to come by at the moment. Obviously, everyone's listening to our podcast and getting into <laughs> adventure riding and rushing out buying uh, buying bikes. But, but no, that's a... Five a, grand for a first midway adventure bike is a... Really good buy. Cracking buy. And if I didn't have the ten around, I'd be Yeah. The good thing about the older bikes as well is taking the new this Tenere, the new Tenere compared to this older Tenere, the new Tenere, it comes out, it takes a while, you know, 6, 12, 18 months for yeah. everyone to figure things out, find problems with the bike. Like at the moment, the throttle response is like the biggest thing that people yeah, have spot, yeah, yeah. The, the fuel mapping. And that's what people are just starting to, to change and adjust and come up with a different, different ways of changing it. Something like this that's been around for a long time. Ten years worth has of modifications, had yeah. The whole this whole lifetime worth of experts like R&D, and D basically. Yeah. And yeah. and you go on, on forums and you can If there's a problem, somebody else will have had it and solved yeah, it by now. Or every little tweak to make that into the best it can be. Yeah, yeah. Is that's available. A good point. So great idea for a first adventure bike, I think. So what about if we jump up in budget a little bit then if we went up to kind of more you know sort of getting on for sort of serious money now this one's eight and a half grand 
from Total Triumph, our arch, arch rivals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just up the road in, in Taunton. Now, again, I thought this might have been my bike. Oh. Because it's a khaki green. Oh, but it's 2017. Mine was in 2015. Uh, okay. A khaki green 2017 t- Triumph Tiger XCA. Which means it's the posh one. So, quick side note. This is something to bear in mind when you are buying bikes that have, especially something like Triumph, that have incremental model years. Yeah. Now, the Tiger had a... Like Facelift, a, basically, yeah. didn't well, it? Well, it's had a few, and it's had like it has like a two-year... Um, yeah, like a, a two-year cycle. cycle. So you had the original Tiger, then they, they then they did the XC, which was basically the same bike with spokes. Yeah. Then 2015, they bought out was the, the model one I bought, had, wasn't it? and yeah. it's the models that we're looking at right now. Yeah. And they did they did a, it was a huge leap up from the the older model. Yeah, and then 18, um, they made a small. And then yeah, so it was 17 or 18. They did a with the screen, the the, the TFT yeah, they screen. Yeah, the TFT screen. They changed. They they changed the first gear to lower down. But it was basically it was a it was a stepping stone to the new 900. Yeah, and then the, and then you have the 900. So you have a small step and then a big step. Yeah, so I wouldn't the... buy because I looked when I bought my white my second yeah, hand yeah. target. I was looking at a new 18, 18 like, TFT tiger. screen one. Yeah, 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 and it wasn't worth in my opinion the, the money for the new one compared to the 2015 model that you can get for a few grand left and this is something to bear in mind when you are looking at say you've picked a bike yeah. looking at the different models the difference between like the 660 10 and the T7 is chalk and cheese huge, totally yeah. different but there are adventure bikes that have incremental upgrades and, and also then for probably worth looking because if you have two bikes on the same plate yeah what at the same price yeah one could be the late the, the revamped model and well this is the thing because this so. is the this is a 17 reg yeah and the one that i'm looking at for the used one is a 16 reg but they are the exact same model even if you had a 15 reg they'd be the exact exactly the same same model but if this one was like a 67 reg it may well have the exactly uh, upgrade. so this one's up at yeah eight and a half grand uh seven and a half thousand miles it's from a Again, main triumph dealer super low mileage for... so it's almost certainly going to be used approved which means long warranty really good checks um it's going to be in great condition yeah goodbye goodbye really the only thing that i'm looking at here so everything is standard on this bike but it comes with the metal aluminium panniers which yeah. is quite an expensive setup except for the fact that towards the end of its life they were giving them out they were with yeah, yeah. every new bike so it wouldn't be uncommon to see one of these up for sale without the panniers yeah but occasionally you do see it so i think yeah especially yeah. on tigers look out for for luggage because mm-hmm. yeah there's but a ev- lot of them out everything them. else on this bike looks exactly stock even the sat nav holder which came as a as yeah a, but it's got the stock tires on and at seven yeah. and a half thousand miles it wouldn't surprise me if they were the original tires from new could be yeah probably so swearing off that's a bit what i would look at i would make sure that they were changed before i bought that but other than that it's a it's a it's a cracking buy I, I got mine mine was a 17 plate and i got that for nine grand which came with pretty much exactly the same with with panniers okay yeah so that makes sense that we're a couple of years late down the line and it's now a thousand pounds cheaper than that mm-hmm. So what about use then? Your your example's £500 cheaper and a year older. Yeah, exactly. £500 cheaper, a year older, exactly the same model. So the XCA, so the top range Tiger 800. It's got the panniers. Everything else is absolutely standard. It looks like it's got stock tyres on as well still from, from new. It's done less miles, so 4,500 miles. But I think between four and 7,000 miles, it's not really no. enough to quibble over. And the fact that you're paying £500 more for a younger bike in khaki green which is a better, better colour from a from main triumph dealer a main triumph dealer which is like you said probably got triumphs approved used warranty scheme you imagine so 
I'd this, have, I'd I have would, the, the all day long. Turtle. I would go to the dealership for that bike. I wouldn't go to Turtle though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. It's all right. They don't listen to this. <laughs> They will be. They will be. They'll be begging um, for us to sponsor And then them. finally, I've gone for, for one more that's quite a lot more expensive. Uh, and this is from, this is a really nice dealership <laughs> in uh, Exeter <laughs> called Bridge Motorcycles, who are a franchised Honda dealership. Uh, no, so this is our ex-demo uh, Honda uh, CRF 1000, so Africa Twin Adventure Sport. So the top spec one um, It's our ex-demonstrator, so low mileage, 269 miles in fact, so it's barely used. Um, it's going to benefit from the the comp- whole remainder of the your sort of Honda warranty on it. I can vouch for the fact that this bike is absolutely mint. It might as well be brand new, and it's twelve grand. Yeah, X demos can be a an, a great buy. I bought an X demo XSR nine hundred from from Bridge. Yeah, normally a good way to save save a decent chunk off a new bike. With I mean, some people worry about them being abused on demo, but I don't think it. I think for a start, modern bikes are so reliable that even if it has it's probably going to be all right. Secondly, you're still going to get the, the remainder of the manufacturer's warranty on it. So if anything did go wrong with it, I mean, let's face it, you know, you're buying an X-Demo, it's probably six months old. Um, so you've still got 18 months of warranty left. Mm-hmm. Something's going to go wrong. It's going to get fixed within that. And the bike gets ro- completely ran over by the yeah, technicians exactly. anyway. It gets a full PDI and, and often you'll get your first service thrown in for free because it's probably coming up or it's probably yeah. just been done so that saves you a little just bit of money you forget about when you buy new yeah, absolutely yeah you've got a sort of 100 pound bill coming in in a couple of weeks time so yeah i think that that's a good buy um uh, at 12 grand and when you think that the new africa twin adventure sport starts at something like 15 ish oh wow that starts looking like good value very good value yeah so i found uh another adventure sports 19 plate oh nice yeah which done ten thousand miles yeah, and is up for nine thousand nine hundred full luggage. So it's um, two grand cheaper. Big difference is that this is manual and the Dex demo is DCT. So there's, oh, there's yes. a big difference there. Yeah, um, that accounts for about twelve hundred quid when ag- you're buying. Exactly. Really. Which, um, for those of you who don't know, that's Honda's dual clutch transmission, which so it's is automatic. Essentially, yeah, automatic. Which is what my brother's got actually DCT, and he says. Yeah. It's so easy. I think it well it was me that told him to buy that and then that's why I ended up buying the bike in Swindon. <laughs> <laughs> Put him off ours, but never mind. But this so this has been this is a year, ten thousand miles. This could scream to one of two things. One commuter bike. Yeah. Or be big trip bike. Either way it's been been used. Mm-hmm. Ten thousand miles in a year for the UK market is is a lot. Which doesn't necessarily mean it could be really tidy. Oh, I couldn't absolutely. I couldn't quite tell from the ridges. I want to get a, wanted to get a good look at good look at the spokes because with adventure bikes, obviously most of them are spoked. Yeah. And when you're Africa Twins in particular have been known for having yeah, issues with them. When you're out constantly, especially commuting like through an English winter, yeah, on salty roads, a lot of people just they get home, put it in the garage, and and leave it. They're not they're not washing it. Yeah. So, and I would suggest if the pictures aren't there, mm-hmm. why? Yeah, because if your bike was so nice and mint, you would put really good, high quality close-up photos on. So, I would like—I'd be interested to see that bike. Yeah, if it was local, because it could be a good buy if you're not interested. If you want the manual version, you've got the luggage; it's ready to, you know, it's adventure ready. Yeah, there's no getting away but, from the fact it's two grand cheaper than ours. Yeah, but there's, there's a lot of money. there are a lot of a- advantages to it being an X-Demo DCT and having effectively Virtually a no full miles on it. manufacturer's warranty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I suppose the trend here that we're, say- that we're saying is smaller, l- less expensive bikes. By private. More likely to get a good deal private. 
the higher you go up, really. The Some of the benefits of buying from a dealer start to shine through. Start to show through, yeah, exactly. Um, what do you think, other than kind of the, the lack of choice and things and the lack of guarantee, are there any, anything else with private sales that you would consider to be a, a negative? Because to me, the main positive is, is it's all price-based, right? Yeah. What would you say are some of the yeah the, the disadvantages of of private sales the big one for me is it's it's really difficult to organize a test ride yes um it's yeah. as, understandably as if you're selling and if you're buying it's yeah. incredibly stressful sure someone can hand you their license but most most insurance companies and and like mcn and all articles that you read they recommend that you give the full amount as a deposit yeah. for you to then go and ride the bike but even that's quite scary if you don't really trust the guy you're giving you well, five grand to yeah and especially if you ride off and he runs off and you've got well, and yeah, you exactly. realize there's something really wrong with it. so it, it's yeah it, and, and it can be quite stressful i know that there have been people that have gotten quite angry because they've been expect they've been asked to yeah to pay to you know to to give that money across so it is difficult and again like i said if you're selling the bike as well you've got to then you've got to have the awkward question of asking for that if they're going to test ride it and yeah. then sitting and waiting in the hope that they will come they come back <laughs> they will come back but well, um, you don't worry if, you do, if you've got their money though i suppose mm, whereas with the dealership it's a lot easier well, it's the a lot dealership's more insured you'll be on riding on their insurance and the other thing is it's it's one it's one bike if you're let's say you're getting into adventure biking yeah and you know you're going to get an adventure bike but you're not sure uh, you know i want i either like tom i either want an africa twin or a, or a t7 yeah he needed to ride both and especially riding them back to back as yeah. well whereas if you're doing it privately you've got to set up a test ride with someone then go away and then find someone else yeah and also i think privately i just personally i think i don't think it's fair to go and test ride someone's bike to, get, to, to, to see, see what if the you bike, like it yeah that's not you know you can go to a dealership to do that fine i mean as much as dealerships don't want people coming and just joyriding their bikes with private sales i think it's a complete no-go you go if you're test riding that bike you're test riding it to check it works Mm -hmm. not to see if you if you find the seat comfortable or if you like the power delivery i mean that you know read reviews and stuff that's another disadvantage i guess of buying privately that you don't have that same flexibility that you would with a dealer yeah definitely um yeah you can't go and sit on 20 bikes yeah and you know and that kind of leads me on as well then to the fact it's it's not as easy to spot problems on a on a private sale bike because a dealership hopefully a decent dealer will have already appraised the bike so they would have checked it over and you're I wouldn't have personally from our dealership I'd have absolutely no problem with showing a customer the appraisal sheet that we completed when we bought the bike which would show any problems there were because ultimately I'm not trying to hide anything if there's a problem I'll fix it private seller is going to be very very different um, for all the reasons we discussed before they may well want to hide problems um, and on somebody's driveway or in someone's garage the chances of you spotting everything that's wrong is relatively slim yeah so there's difficulties involved but you know, if you're prepared to take those risks, so that you get that there is the reward, the ultimate reward of potentially getting a bike at a, good, at, a, at a good price. Saving some and, money, yeah. You know, the big thing is is do some research beforehand. You know, Definitely. I mentioned before forums, and forums are the perfect way to find any niggles, any little things. You know, oh, this this model. You know, between this year and this year, yeah. the spokes were really bad. They from production or for whatever reason, so the spokes are corroding really bad. Or make or, sure that recall's been done. Or yeah. yeah, just and and you can create a list. You have a you can make a list of things that just sort of spot checks that you should be be wary of for that particular model and make of bike. You know, if you're not 
clued up on this kind of stuff then just you know find someone who is, who is and, and don't be afraid to bring someone along um in some situations it can be easy especially if you're going to ride the bike you've got someone to stay behind with the seller oh definitely yeah well and then whilst you're right right they can then you know quiz the seller on other things mm-hmm. so things like we we're saying before service history and stuff i mean a great way to negotiate is if you know someone's advertised the bike as full service history like we said earlier just because it's got 10 stamps in the book does not mean it's got full service history you know look look for that mileage and say ah brilliant okay so i see you had the eight thousand mile service done have you got the invoice to show that the coolant and the brake fluid was changed or that the valve clearances were checked and if they say no then as far as i'm concerned that bike hasn't got full service history a stamp in the book means now yeah if it's not backed up 100%. with 100% with an invoice with regards to the price um i know when i've so for example when i've sold a bike i've had it on finance yeah i need to set up my finance or i need to set up my finance and have enough for a deposit sure. for a new bike or whatever so i will always have a price in my head and then i will look at also what's on the market yeah, yeah. and then price mine i usually price mine about the same maybe slightly lower than you know depending on how quickly i want to sell the bike. sure yeah yeah you know if i want to sell it quicker i'll price it you know 50 quid cheaper than the cheapest one or whatever yeah that's equivalent um but in my head i will have a figure that i will be happy to let the bike go yeah for. And it'll be a lot and lower I'll... than the price you put it up for normally <laughs> but i i know in my head if if someone's trying to get me lower than that price i will just say no and that is it because yeah. I'm what price are you prepared to let it go for uh, below that no thank you so as a buyer it's working out where that figure is yeah and, and like we said it's difficult to work that out because there's any number of things that could influence that you know if someone's just had got a baby coming on the way and they're they're having to sell the bike they're probably likely to sell it for a lot less than someone that's not that bothered they've got it up for sale oh, because I could do with a bit more space in the garage but yeah. if it's sat there for another year it doesn't matter um, so if you can sounds bad but take advantage of somebody's unfortunate situation then um that's that's the time you're going to get a lot of money off yeah but looking as well on and to see how long the bike's been up on yeah yeah on for absolutely um the longer it's been the more likely they are to want to get rid of it Mm -hmm. um one thing i'd say definitely try and do is get an hpi report done on the bike before committing to buy it so that's a, a report you can do online you normally have to pay a small levy to have it done i, I think. think it's like a tenner or something because yeah. they do like a partial check just on auto trader the don't they? Done, and it but checks to make always... sure the bike's not got any outstanding finance on it um it's never been written off it's never been stolen and it just gives you peace of mind that what you're buying is is legit last thing you want is the police knocking on the door telling you that the bike's stolen and mm. taking it away from you or even if yeah if, it, if it's been written off and rebuilt it could look incredible oh yeah but um, ultimately it's worthless yeah if it's a write-off yeah when you come to sell it no one will pay anything like what you paid for it for it so yeah just so check that um and one thing that you could do we're talking about in terms of just making sure for peace of mind is most dealerships will offer an appraisal service so if you're really keen on a bike and it is you know it's a significant sum of money you could arrange with the seller uh, to meet at a local dealership book the bike in to the dealership's workshop it will probably take around half an hour 45 minutes they will then do a full appraisal on the bike we certainly offer this service and it's exactly the same appraisal that we would do if we were taking your bike in as a part exchange so you know that the dealership is checking absolutely everything on that bike um, that could cost you money so they'll go through head brace bearings wheel bearings brake pads coolant levels check for leaks check chains tires sprocket everything we can't tell if an engine's going to blow up obviously i mean there's an element of risk but in terms of just the sort of major stuff that can cause where that can cause bills to rack up 
um, we can check that over. I mean, we charge like I think forty five quid to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's the same check that you guys make to buy a bike. Yeah. In so it's you know you're still you're still getting a quality check on that machine. Yeah, absolutely. And if you get that check back, and there's you know it needs new brake pads, the discs are warped, the head brace bearings are notchy. Um, and the chain and sprockets are heavily worn well you've got two choices you're either going to walk away or you've got now you've got some real bargaining power i mean i wouldn't bother doing this unless you were like 99 percent sure you want to buy this bike because ultimately it's a lot of effort on both parties you've got to both meet at a dealership Hmm. you as the buyer are going to have to pay for this report to be done you don't want to do that unless you're you're very sure and you're probably not going to bother doing it on a two grand bike but on something that's you know if you're buying something more expensive 45 50 quid yeah like that that 10 grand that 9,900 Africa twin perfect example you know high mileage at a young age yeah it's it's a decent way to get because on that it's more likely consumables that will be yeah, wearing so. that yeah. an appraisal would pick up yeah nice and easy but so. you look, you could be looking at a you know four or five hundred quid's worth of work if there's a, a load of stuff that needs doing so I, I definitely recommend doing that and again it's something I think a lot of people aren't aware that a dealership will be quite happy to offer providing the workshop's got time ideal Right, we are running way long again. It's because we've got so much information, James. We, we have. Fountains of knowledge. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to mention quickly? No, not not particularly. I mean, like obviously, you know, when you're buying a bike, check over consumables. Mm-hmm. So make sure you check tyres, brake pads, bearings, things like that. All the normal stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it, really. Smashing. No, that's great. Um, so that will wrap up this week's episode this week's section of this episode let's move on to what are you doing what have i been up to i went surfing this week james no bike related please otherwise i'm gonna have to cut this out mountain bike related yeah that'll do is that okay go on i blew the shock up on my mountain bike this week really which was annoying i'm not really sure how but it now has no damping and is basically a pogo stick so i've ordered a new shock and I've got it to the bike shop because I don't have time to do it myself because I'm going to Scotland next week. Are you? Going mountain biking again. I, I don't seem to actually... I don't ride motorbikes, by the way. I was going to say, I was, I was getting hopeful that, oh, thought, your mountain oh. bike's broken. You'll have to go out on your... No, no, I'll get, that, I'll get my mountain bike fixed as like an absolute priority. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to <laughs> Ben Nevis next week. Uh, and we're going to attempt to do the World Cup downhill course there. Oh, that sounds awesome. Which, which sounds terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping my new shock is okay because it's uh, I don't know it'll be alright nice yeah and you've obviously been Salisbury Plains Salisbury Plains yeah it's anything my, coming up yeah it's my birthday next week so I've got a few days off um, pause for happy birthday happy, but yeah hey, thank exactly you. you can just overlay <laughs> no the, um, so my brother's coming down uh, and on Thursday we are going to be I'm going to be showing him some Devonshire some, lanes some different type Proper of trails lanes, bay. so that'll be fun <laughs> Um, so we're going to spend the whole day out doing that can't, nice. can't wait that's going to be great fun um, and that's it that's it really that Salisbury chalk jeez that mucky because down here it's Devon red clay and yeah. it's totally up there it's like painting the bike yeah, in emulsion white. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. great I love it looks cool yeah because yeah. I thought it was like a permanent paint job well it, oh, it, my inner tube arrived finally by the way so I've got a heavy duty rear inner tube for the WR so we, we should oh, nice. make I was going to buy some tyre levers but then Adventure Spec closed their website to make a new one I can get some tyre levers from work that's fine so, yeah but I need to buy some anyway okay yeah but um that's it yeah that's it. so yeah well hopefully that's been useful and if any of you, anybody is looking at buying a used adventure bike at the moment then uh, I hope that's given you some tips if you've got any questions then please uh, submit them to us as we have had uh, 
a really yeah really great question come through this week from we, a, we have yeah a viewer, someone viewer listener someone emailed me out of the blue um subject line t7 question from a from a guy called jack um hi jack hi jack thank you for getting in touch and sending this lovely long email um it's genuinely quite exciting though a point of recording i forgot i haven't actually emailed you back i apologize <laughs> but i will just say that well, it's, on the podcast. it's on the podcast he could be, at least then we know that one person's going to listen uh, yeah anyway so this is quite relevant actually to this week's episode which yep. is ideal so hi James it says hi James but hi James and Ross I'll add that's you okay. I stumbled across your site via your video with Farmer Talk on YouTube I'm check re- him out by the way hmm? check yep. him out 100% I'm really liking your podcast reviews and websites and website which is really nice because my wife hasn't even said that so that's <laughs> that's one person my wife hasn't even listened so (laughs) (laughs) I'm in the market for a new bike and your advice would be really appreciated after passing my bike test in 2008 my first bike was a Kawasaki ZXR400 which I owned for 3 to 4 years then sold before weirdly having a 10 year break from biking at 32 years old I got back into biking so old buying a Svar Svartpillen Svartpillen Husqvarna Svartpillen Oh it's a husky Oh yeah, 401 yeah, so they're, they're, cool, they're super cool little scrambler thing 401 It's a really really cool little bike And I've loved being back into biking And the bike However I've started to realise What I want from biking Which is enjoying a ride in the evening In East or West Sussex And like the idea of a few trips to Europe each year Mainly Spain and Finland Where I have friends and family As, a great, as great as the Svart 401 is For an evening plot around B roads It won't be great for a long trip I've had my eye on the new Tracer 700, so I went to a Yamaha dealership who put me out on an XSR 700 as the Tracer was not ready to ride. This way I could experience the infamous MT-07 engine, which I really liked, but found the XSR cramped for my long legs. After sitting on the Tracer 700, new and old versions that also felt cramped. The sales guy tempted me to sit on the Tenere 700 and it felt great for my frame the bike looks great and I really like the commander style seating position Tracer felt low and small like the XSR and I'm 6 foot 1 tall so now I find myself probably going way over my initial 6 to 7k budget for a Tenere but if it's the right bike I don't see why not however I have a few questions if you would have a chance to answer on the next podcast maybe so okay that's good he's given us permission to this is the next podcast (laughs) I have more intention of road riding over the next year or two Mm. will the T7 be good enough to be a motorway mile muncher back across Europe to say Finland or am I best looking at a more road orientated bike I also live in the middle of Brighton and park on the road so I need to consider motorcycle bay parking and security T7 will hardly be inconspicuous amongst the hundreds of scooters parked around town I do like the thought of doing off-road someday, so I've probably answered my own question, but will the T7 be the road touring bike I seek for the next two years? Also, do you know if the bike would take up less less space if on the centre stand when parked? Any centimetre to save for parking will help keep the front wheel from poking into a road. Thanks and keep up the great content. I bought something via the Amazon affiliate link. Thank you in advance. Oh, what a legend. What a legend. Thank you. We like Jack. (laughs) Um, So, Tenerife, yeah, okay. I I can understand why you don't want to go touring on a, a Svart pillar. I'm sure James is probably googling what one is right now mm-hmm. um, but yeah they're, they're wicked little bikes but I wouldn't want to tour Europe on one um, and I understand what you mean about the Tracer 700 I think now initially that made perfect sense and I would have said yeah you, f- you found this, the perfect bike but I can understand what you mean at 6 foot 1 yeah because I'm 6'3 yeah and the, you know, the, the Tracers are designed to, to fit a, a wider range of riders I suppose of, of more sort of yeah, varying abilities and confidence levels the Tenere I don't know it kind of depends on that 
thing he's saying about wanting to do some off-road because I think there are lots of bikes that will munch miles to and from Europe for less than nine grand, much better than a Tenere 700. Mm. I think that engine is probably the the very smallest capacity that I would yeah. do motorway munching. Like immediately, I'm thinking get a couple of year old uh, Tracer 900. Yeah, because uh, yeah. as a motorway engine, that triple engine is is lovely. It's brilliant. Is lovely. Or a Tiger 800. Or a Tiger. Yeah, that Something was going like to jump onto that. Tiger's much better suited for the road not quite as well suited for the off-road but both of those um, are going to be well within your original budget of six to seven grand mm-hmm. you know a couple of couple of two three year old examples of the tracer maybe a slightly older tiger um and i would think probably on the road would be more enjoyable generally than the tenere especially on the open roads mm. i think on tighter roads the tenere would be great i think uh, i'm not a good advocate for this because i've been riding 21 inch yeah. wheels for ages. Uh, for ages but I th- uh, there's something to be said about having a 19 inch if you're going to be or 17 road, even or even 17 um, would you get yeah the other thing as well is if you're going to be commuting um, around then a spoke wheel bike like I was mentioning then that's true you don't want to have to be worrying about keeping your spokes clean and, yeah. and a cast wheel in that it's difficult because cast wheel will be is much easier to look after yeah um but if you're going to be doing off-road i wouldn't be i no, wouldn't off-road break one, off-road. No. um so it's a ch- i think you need to answer that question of whether you're gonna whether you're gonna off-road it if you want to get into off-roading maybe do what, what ross has done and and spend a grand on on a little wr or wr something. or something yeah, yeah a couple of grand um, or, or pick I wouldn't, up a crf 250 or something even I just to... yeah i don't think i'd buy a bike with because that's what a lot of adventure bike people do they buy a bike with the intention of yeah of offering and, and they never do so a perfect example is when people buy a top spec xc model tiger because they are more expensive than the xr yeah. which is the cast wheel version and they only ride on road in which case the cast wheel version would have been cheaper a and better ride better yeah yeah so i don't know i i would definitely go back in and have a look see if they've got an xr model so the the cast wheel version of a tiger 800 well, I don't know if he was at Triumph dealer though, because he said he was at a Yamaha. Oh, was it was it a Yamaha specific? It was a trace. Well, okay. I don't know. He just has, he said it. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Um, but but I, th- I would definitely go and check out a Tiger Tiger Eight Hundred XR somewhere and a Tracer Nine Hundred. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure you can get a Tracer Nine Hundred for that kind of money these days. Oh yeah, yeah. I think old. it's starting at like five grand now for for a Tracer for an older mm-hmm. one, and six seven grand to get you yeah perf- perfectly nice example. Yeah, especially for that mo- motorway mile munching. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's weird to not recommend a T7. No, but, but I think uh, yeah, like I you said, think I there just, are better options. I wouldn't for, want to cruise on the motorway to Finland on one particularly. No, like I was, I was, I was perfectly happy on it, but I wouldn't. I, I don't. You would have been happier riding to Salisbury on your Tiger. Yeah, but you were happier when you were there. Yeah, on your T7. Yeah, so, so I suppose yeah, you got you got to answer that question of whether you whether you're actually going to off-road mm. it and how much you're going to off-road it. I mean, I, I off-roaded the Tiger, but I wouldn't... Sorry, I'm going back in circles here. If you're gonna, if you if you're definitely going to off-road it, then look at something with a spoke wheel. Yeah. If Other than that, I would 100% aim at a cast wheel. Um, the triple engines, are like, because both the options we've chosen are triple engines, and they're so They're, they're really so good smooth. compromise between a twin and a, and a four, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Like, bags of power. Easy to ride. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's the way to go. There we go, Jack. You heard it here. Buy a Tracer 900 or Tiger 800. Yeah, and then when 
you or maybe a ten. Let us know what you let us know what you go for. Yeah, yeah, we'd be interested to know. And hopefully you're happy with it. Yeah. Cool. <sighs> Another long episode. Another one. Uh, Good. Do, People do love them. Have, have, it takes me at least three to four times as long as the episode to edit the episode. Does it? Yeah. You need to get so, quicker. Get a better laptop. It's not that, it's the physically listening back. Oh. Oh. Right. Just as well, you love the sound of my voice. <laughs> I was going to say your own voice, but that seemed mean. What have we got next week? Next week, we have an episode. Guess uh, he cut this out. What the, I forgot the name. <laughs> Louise and Michael. You do it. Okay. So, what have we got next week, James? Next week is really exciting because not only did we get an email that we've just read out from jack from jack but we had another email actually no we didn't we had an instagram message that's trendier than an email yeah jack you need to get on instagram mate <laughs> who even emails anymore oh he is 32 that's pretty old um whoa how old are you <laughs> 30 are you i'm almost 30 um no from from louise and michael um who we quickly moved the conversation to email You'll, you'll be pleased to hear excellent um, professional but they are heading around the UK Tet um, in a marathon of a trip oh, it sounds horrible <laughs> but they're doing it for charity yeah yeah they're no, not it's... doing it for the joy of it they're doing it for for, char- for to raise some money for, for some air ambulances and, and search and rescue yeah and, and, and there's a personal challenge I think as well for both of them exactly so um, we we're going to interview them uh, Michael's got quite a bit of experience. Louise is a bit newer to the game, um, yeah, which adds a pretty interesting dynamic, I think. Exactly. So we're gonna we're gonna talk through their plans. They're setting off on I think the twentieth of July. So yeah, plan, by the time the episode it? comes out, it will be a few days before they leave. Yeah. Um, find out why they're doing it, what they're wearing, what their bikes are wearing. Or how, yeah, how they're doing it, how long they're spending in the saddle, where they're going how they're prepping etc etc it's gonna be yeah it's a really interesting uh gonna be a really interesting episode and the the brief chat we've had with them so far they sound like like really cool interesting people so make sure you tune into that one yeah but uh yeah in the meantime that'll do it we will see you what's that so in the meantime keep adventuring oh okay but i can't steal your line well you can if you want no no you no. maybe you need your own mm, i'll have to think of that in the meantime keep adventuring that's my see- line oh this is why it takes so long. See you later, guys. <gasps> Keep adventuring. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.